Hello, Facebook, friends, and family. Okay. I'm checking our connection. Looks like you're on. I've got the notifications. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tanya. Welcome, Facebook friends and family to our live Bible topics, questions, and answers. Our topic is, uh, we're continuing on the topic of abuse. And today we'll be discussing services for the victim and as well as the abuser. Our guest speaker for today is uh, Bridget Cleghorn from Safe Place. Our panel members are Yvette Steele, Tanya Carter, Ricky Long and Shapranka Long, myself. Also, um, Ricky and I are your hosts. Our call line, you can call in to chat with us while we're live at 256-669-9565. So um, we'll open up for our discussion on the topic of abuse, the services that uh, are offered. And here we have uh, Bridget Cleghorn. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. Hey, hey y'all. <laughs> awesome. Uh, how are y'all tonight? Awesome. We are doing yeah. good. Good. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you. So, do you want me just to dive right in? Well, sure, you can. You can go ahead and start. Uh, well, I, we will. Our continuation on abuse last week, where we were discussing it, um, by basically we were uh, talking about uh, healing from maybe a bi biblical standpoint, Bible scriptures. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we have to put faith without works is dead. So mm -hmm. there has to be some works with the faith as well as the scriptures. Uh, you know, we have to put do something to mm -hmm. in order to get better or sometimes, uh, you know, for the situation to be resolved. Mm -hmm. So therefore, um, that's why um, I contacted you all for so we can see what services are available for people and some people may uh maybe don't know about the services that are available or sometimes people stay in situations because uh they feel stuck or they financially can't uh, afford to leave or don't have somewhere to go yes mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. yeah that's and, so, uh, so true. Yes. So, um, therefore, you know, we wanted to get some information on the services that are available. 
for uh, the victim as well as services we found out are available for the perpetrator mm -hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, um, thankfully, um, safe so, places, go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> apologize. Oh, no, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm all go about ahead. talking, so <laughs> y'all forgive me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you. If I, if I if I go too long or I talk too much, just say, Bridget, I'm going to need you to <laughs> bed it off here. So, um, you know, and certainly as I'm talking, if I say anything, please, if you have questions, just ask, you know, inter, you know, just stop me and say, let me ask something. Um, so, because, you know, so this can kind of be a dialogue more so than just me presenting yes. information to you. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of different types of abuse that we see, um, certainly physical abuse probably being the most um, common that people can relate to and understand. Certainly there are other forms of it, you know, emotional, psychological, financial um, are some of the other forms of abuse that we see, um, particularly at Safe Place um, when we're doing this work. Um, just to kind of tell you who I am, and kind of how I came to this work and kind of buy in so that I'm not just some random person y'all never seen before telling you this stuff. Um, so I yeah. um, am a childhood survivor of domestic violence. My father was very abusive to my mom and myself. Um, and so I grew up in that situation. And then I ended up marrying someone who was very emotionally abusive. Um, he never hit me. Um, so, um, I knew that from coming from a very violent childhood that the first time, and I think I shared this with you guys when we were talking earlier this week, the first time his fist went through the wall, um, I emotionally just checked out of that relationship and knew that, um, I was not going to be safe. So, um, yeah. nobody ever told me growing up because in the church, we just didn't really talk about it that what was going on right what was going on was abuse or that it had a name or that it was not legal you know um and so i grew up not realizing that it had a name and through you know the lord um just you know sometimes we come right back around to where you know to our purpose right so we life happens and then he kind of brings us back around to purpose. And so um, in 2012, after my father had passed away in 09, um, we moved back to this area in Franklin County. And um, I met someone, I think you met her too, um, Shaponica, um, is Ginger Stone. And yeah. Ginger kind of um, through, through some family members, we ended up being, and the Lord, I mean, that's just my opinion. <laughs> you know, he just crossed our paths and through talking with her and coming to understand, you know, the organization that she worked for, Safe Place, I found out that um, domestic violence, what, what I had been going through, what I had experienced as a child had a name. And for the first time, chains were literally broken off of me mm -hmm. because then yes. I didn't realize that this shame that I had carried for all of these years did not belong to me. And it had a name and that, um, 
it allowed me to um, to get free um, to to receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness most of all, because yeah. that for me that is how I I walk through my healing. Um, that comes for different people. Um, that comes in different ways for different people, and so you know I can only talk about how I, mine came. Um, so that's that's who I am, and that's how I came to this work. Thankfully, they decided to give me a job. <laughs> and um, they let me they told me uh, they taught me how to you know be an advocate and so what my role at safe place is is I'm the victim advocacy coordinator um, I started almost six years ago as the Franklin County advocate and as an advocate that is one of the services that we provide to victims of domestic violence is we um, will go to court with them so um, we will help them understand what the criminal justice process looks like if they choose to maybe get a protection order from abuse or if they choose to um, be a witness in a criminal case that where violence might have been perpetrated against them. Um, so that's, that is what my role is in Safe Place. And now I have become the advocacy supervisor. So um, we serve six counties. And I'm actually the supervisor of our court advocacy program. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so that's kind of who I am and what I do and why I do what I do and how it has um, affected, you know, how domestic violence has affected me. Um, so any questions so far? Um, okay. So far, no. We're good? No okay. questions All right. so far. We're good. So, you know, I know that y'all had this conversation last week and um, one of the things that when we talk and people hear the word abuse, like I said earlier, um, a lot of times I think a lot of people just think of physical abuse, you know, yeah. um, and this physical violence or sexual violence that happens. Um, and what we know to be true is that while that is like, you know, the extreme part of domestic violence or abuse, there are lots of little things that happen before that, typically speaking, before that big explosion of physical violence actually occurs. So at the core of domestic violence, and um, I know you have the power and control wheel, so I don't want to keep it up on the screen, um, okay. but one of the, th I have it here and then we can show okay. it too as I go through. So one of the things that when we talk about the power and control wheel, so domestic violence is just that. It is about one person's belief in a particularly intimate partner violence. Okay. Cause that's what we typically deal with. Um, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, a group of ladies got together in Duluth, Minnesota and they were talking about these experiences that they had had um, with their intimate partners, with their husbands particularly. And they came to realize that there were some common things happening between them um, before these physical explosions or sexual assaults were happening. So when we think about um, a wheel so they came up with all these tactics that abusers use to maintain this power and control that they believe they have the right to have in an intimate relationship. So when you think about, 
you know, a relationship, when you think about um, a mom and a dad, a mom and a child or a father or parents, and so their relationships are not balanced, right? Because when we, um, when we are in a parental role, there's an element of control that we have to have, and it's appropriate and okay to have so that we maintain order in our home and, and we teach our children, right? Right. So, but what happens when you're in a, an unequal relationship is that person in the relationships believes that he is, to, and I say he, I know we talked about this earlier. <laughs> there are all certainly times where the man is not, is the victim and where, um, where he is the one being abused. Um, but statistics tell us that about 95% of the time, um, intimate, viol- intimate partner violence is perpetrated by the male partner um, against his female partner. Okay. Uh-huh. So when I say that, I only say it because that's what statistics tell us. So you're in an unequal relationship and he believes that he has the right to have control in this relationship and that control gives him power. And so when you think about a wheel on a car, um, you think about the center of that wheel and that's an axis, right? That's what makes the car go round. And so the power and control is at the center of what makes violence, particularly domestic violence, intimate partner violence. It is what makes violence um, happen. Okay. Um, Okay. And so when a person's power is taken away from him, then that's where these tactics come in to play. Everybody with me so far? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Am I, am I, am I, okay. So that's where the power and control will, because how does an abuser maintain control? How does he maintain his control over his victim? And so there's a lot of different ways that he can do that. And that's what the power and control will is. I think that if you want to show that you can, can I, will y'all be able to see me or will sure. you'll be able to hear me, right? Well, mm-hmm. yes, we'll be able to hear you. Okay. 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 Everybody with me so far, y'all are quiet, y'all are. Yes, yes. <laughs> you're, good? Okay. you're good, you're yes. good, Tanya? Am I doing yes. okay? <laughs> Cassandra, give me a thumbs up. Am I, we're good? <laughs> okay. Um. So, well now how cool is this so if you think about the the wheel the center of the wheel is where that power and control is right yeah i'm good okay good deal good deal that is where um can y'all see okay let me move it up a little bit there okay um that the center of the wheel is where um is is the nucleus of violence And so how an abuser maintains that power and control is through the use of tactics, Um, minimizing, denying, and blaming. Okay, so that might sound like, well, if you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have to do that. Minimizing his own behavior and blaming her for it. Well, if you would have had my supper ready on time, I wouldn't have had to have taken away, you know, access to the bank, or I wouldn't have had to slap you because you didn't have, you know, 
So really and truly making, um, making light, I think that's what it says, you know, making light of the abuse um, in his abuse and blaming it on her. Does that make sense? Um, Saying sometimes even saying that it didn't happen, you know, um, making her feel like she's crazy, like things that, you know, just making it minimizing what has happened um yeah in in his own behavior um saying she was the cause of it um yeah one of the other ones is you know emotional abuse putting her down um making her to feel bad about herself calling her names um again like i said earlier making her and a lot of these go hand in hand together you know he may minimize he may minimize his behavior and then um, call her a name or tell her she's crazy and emotionally abuse her at the same time. All of these things can happen because what's going on is he has felt a loss of power. And so because he has felt a loss of power, maybe she hasn't done what she was supposed to do. He initiates these tactics to bring her back into submission back into a place where he still has the power in that relationship. Um, A lot of times I see clients who come in, um, you know, through the coercion, threats, um, intimidation. One of the biggest ones that I see in this work is isolation um, because he isolates her. And particularly we see that a lot in the church um, Mm. where he, she will go and they will go together to maybe a church and that she's found some um, some support. She's found some people that will listen to her and will be her friend. Well, that's threatening to a person who um, wants to have control in a relationship and believes that they have the right to have the power in that relationship. And so he may tell her, you know, well, I don't think they like me there. I think we need to find another place to go. Um, you know, her family may be there. Well, your family don't like me. And so let's go here and let's have our own church. You know, this may be a church that she even grew up in a lot of times. In the South, I think, you know, for me, I grew up in the church my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so isolating me from the people that I had grown up with and knew in, in that church, it made it very difficult to, for me to feel connected because I was completely isolated. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times we'll see it where he may say, well, let's go find our own church. And so he takes her to another church and now she's lost that connection with her church family that she had. And she doesn't feel like she can go back to them because she's left there and went, and now he's not even going to church at all. You know, right. but that's, yeah. that's the thing is because that I will isolate her and now she has no support system at all. All right. Um, you know, another one is male privilege. Um, you know, I think we see that a lot in the South because we do live in the Bible Belt. And, you know, we um, hear that um, a lot of times a, a client will come in and tell me how he has used the Bible or word and scripture um, to and I'm not speaking ill of the church. Y'all don't take Oh but no! It's, you oh know, no! It's to means. bring her <laughs> to bring her into submission, right? To bring her into yeah. submission, and that that's required. 
And um, so that's a lot of the ways that we have, I particularly have seen the most common way I've seen male privilege work. It certainly can, can go in other ways. You know, he's the head of the house and he's, you know, going to manage all of the finances. He's going to manage everything to do with the house. He tells her, you know, when she can go, when he can come, she can come, um, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Economics certainly plays a role into it. Um, not allowing her to have access, not allowing her to work, maybe, um, Mm. keeping her in some sort of, um, creating a barrier for her right and so um coercion threats you know a lot of the biggest thing i see in coercion is um suicide he will um oftentimes threaten to kill himself because what happens if he threatens to kill himself then he's gone and she will have no income she will have no support um You know, and so that will bring her back into submission so that she will do whatever it is that, you know, she's supposed to be doing to for him to feel like he has control in the relationship. Um, Another one is also using children. Um, You know, that was a big thing um, that abusers will do is, you know, you're a bad mom. I'm going to call the HR on you. Um, Sometimes we find that sometimes we find that there's illegal activity going on. Maybe she's coping with some of her um, stress in a way that she may have reached. um, She may, she may be taking pills that don't belong to her. You know, while that's not okay, um, he'll use that to threaten her, um, make her even do illegal things as well. Um, But threaten to, to tell DHR on her you know, those kinds of things, um, through intimidating her. Um, another one is, um, I think, um, pet abuse. We see that a lot. A lot of, I had a lady one time who her animals were like her children. Okay. And uh, matter of fact, I was on, um, I was in our peace program, which I'll tell you a little bit when we talk about services. Um, and, one of our participants in our program, his wife was someone who I was advocating for in court. And she called me on the phone one day and she was just hysterical. And she was absolutely, he was, I could hear him in the background yelling and cussing and he was threatening her animals. And Mm -hmm. she was in a place where she was ready to just, I mean, she didn't know what she was going to do. I mean, she was ready. She was just going to stay because she did not Mm. want to lose her animals. And the only reason why we were able to actually get her out of there is because we were able to find a place, a safe place for her animals to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, wow. So that's a big deal to a lot of our clients because they don't have human yes. contact and their animals are support to them and emotional support. Yes. So we see that a lot too. Um, but what happens when, when these tactics don't work anymore, what happens when she decides, you know what, I'm still going to go to church and I'm going to have a support group. What happens mm-hmm. when I tell you that I'm still leaving, you can kill my animals, but I'm not going to stay in this. 
or I'm not going to do this anymore. That big, thick line you see about the physical and the sexual violence, it's when he, that happens when he feels the loss of control. When, those, when these tactics are not working, that's when the big explosion happens. That's when the physical violence or the sexual violence happens. And so it may start off really small to, at the beginning. You know, it may be, um, it may be that the tactics work, you know, a long time before physical violence happens. And sometimes the physical violence happens, you know, it may start out with just a pinch, you know, under her arm so nobody can see it. It may escalate then to, you know, a slap in the face with an open hand and, es- and then escalate to a full-on punch. And eventually, yeah. eventually, you know, she's killed or her children are killed. Um, yeah. And without being able to, without getting out of that relationship, without being free of that violence. So, yeah. In a nutshell, that's kind of what domestic violence looks like. That's how power and control is maintained by um, by a perpetrator, someone who believes that they have the right. You know, it's different than just an anger problem. Somebody who is abusive to his spouse or um, or her spouse believes that they have the right to control this other person. And like I said, you know, earlier, it's you have an unequal relationship, like you are subordinate to him. A lot of my clients come in and tell me that they feel like he treats them like they're um, his child um, or something like that. So that's that's kind of that's kind of how it works. Does anybody have any questions about that before? I move on to some of the services we offer at Safe Place. I don't. Um, is it common for uh, you the can take the wheel? Down. Uh-huh. Oh, I can. Yeah, take I mean, the you wheel can, down. yeah, you can take okay. the wheel down unless. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if anybody would like a copy of that, certainly I'm happy to email that out. There we go. Okay. All right. Okay. You were saying, is so, it common? Is it common for um, the perpetrator to realize what he's doing? Mm. Um, how do you mean realize? What I'm, do, do they always know that they have these characteristics? Mm. So, you know, I don't know that they always know that that's that they have, that this is not okay. Um, I I think that I can't help but believe that they have to know it's not okay to hurt somebody, you know? I mean, yeah, to to hurt someone, but um, some of the, but no, I don't think that, I don't think most of the times that when, you know, this is the way they have been raised, boys see this behavior um boys grow up learning that this is how we treat mom or this is how we treat our wives because you know she's the woman and she's gonna be submitted to me and um so I think that a lot of times they don't really realize that it's um that it's abuse you know that that it's abuse okay that's what I was wondering yeah. Yes. 
I, I mean, they have a I, pattern of that behavior. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. Have, because yeah. they have a pattern of that behavior that that, that mm-hmm. becomes a norm to them. Yeah, uh-huh. it does, and it and it becomes a norm to her too because that's to her what too. Because that's she what she's to. right. So you know, <laughs> we talk about Maslow a lot in one of our classes, and Maslow's theory says that we need yeah. food, shelter, safety, security. And then, you know, it's like a triangle and the bottom is food and shelter. Then we need, you know, once we have that, we have safety and security and then love and belonging. And then you have, you know, self-awareness and things like that, um, self-esteem and self-awareness. So what a girl Mm -hmm. learns when she's growing up and she is witnessing abuse in -hmm. her family is that she has to sacrifice everything to feel that love. He is Mm -hmm. learning that you demand it. You will do this. You will do that. And that is the only way you're going to get my love. And so, you know, she is willing to sacrifice everything, her own safety, sometimes even access to food or shelter to just feel this love. I mean, Oftentimes, you know, she'll take the blame for things or, you know, he may be involved in illegal. I've seen it. He's involved in illegal activity, but she takes the blame. The blame because, for what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and mm. I, I see it all the time in court, you know, where, um, you know, it, it just, it does happen. Absolutely. It happens. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So, so you can... Yeah. So Mm -hmm. talking about services and things that are available um, for people who are in safe place, particularly, we are an organization and we serve um, that serves victims of domestic violence and their children. Um, So we serve particularly six counties in Alabama. Um, We serve Marion and Winston County. We serve Mm -hmm. Franklin County. We also okay. serve Lawrence, Lawrence County, Colbert, and Lauderdale County. Okay. So those are the six counties that we particularly serve. There are domestic violence shelters throughout Alabama, and every county in Alabama is served by a domestic violence shelter. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. all right, all of their services are different. We don't all offer some of all of the same services. Um, but by and large, I would say that we are all what we call voluntary services. So someone who comes to us, um, they voluntarily come to us that we don't, they don't have to do anything to receive our services. They don't have to call the police. They don't have to have a police report. Um, they don't have to, you know, do anything particularly to qualify for our services, um, except I didn't, you know, except, be a victim of domestic violence. And so, right. Um, we will assess them. And when I say we, um, generally that's an advocate that will get that. Sometimes they call our helpline and there's an assessment process that we go through questions we ask and a conversation is had and we determine whether they are a victim or whether they are the perpetrator. Hmm. Um, And so that's really all that's required to receive our services, okay? Okay. Once we've identified someone as a victim of domestic violence, we certainly have, we have two shelters 
um, that serve all six counties. Um, we have a rural county shelter, and then we have one that's more in, an, uh, in our urban area. And our urban area is more identified more as Colbert and Lauderdale counties. So those counties, there are two shelters there. Um, we do have, um, we have attorneys on our staff. Um, we have not always had that. We are very blessed that we have oh, okay. um, a legal assistant and we have oh, wow. two, we That's have good. two, um, two um, attorneys who are, you know, board certified, you know, they're, they've taken the bar and all that. They, they can go to court and practice law. Then um, they work for Safe Place. Um, they still are bound by all the rules and um, privacy um, privileges that comes with having an attorney. So um, it can make things challenging um, when, you know, they sometimes they have that client attorney privilege. So we don't always get to know everything that's going on in the case unless our client tells us. So, um, yes. And I mentioned our court advocates earlier, um, victim advocates. Some of us are call our, we've had a few names over the years. Some we've been called victim advocates. We've been called court advocates. Um, but we typically um, are involved in the criminal justice process with our clients. Um, and we also help identify resources for our clients. Um, we primarily are, because what we know is when a victim is in a situation and she has no way out, there are resources that she needs. There are large barriers that happen when you're in a relationship and he's been the primary breadwinner and you don't have an education or you don't have a job skill or you don't have a way, you have small children. So how can you go to work because you don't have childcare, you know, and right. that cycle and you may not have support. You may not have a support system. So we help create that support system we are on the front lines we are the boots in the field so to speak um and we're doing that that initial con we're the ones who are managing the crisis when our clients come in and they're in crisis um, um yes. you know unless it's in shelter we we work with our outreach clients who are in in the counties um we have advocates who are in our shelter that um, that work with them in shelter but sometimes they have to have court proceedings they get connected to a court advocate um okay. so very good those are very good resources mm -hmm. well that's not even near all we have um we okay. have um counseling so okay. we have counseling services that are available um we have for both our adults and our children we have two adult counselors and two um, child counselors. Um, I, I mentioned shelter. We have two shelters available. Um, I believe we have 42 beds in one of our shelters and 15 in the other. So we're a fairly large facility. Um, we also help our clients with um, housing. We have several different housing programs. One of our programs, we can help pay rent for up to 18 months so that she's able to, you know, get things in order. Maybe it's go back to school and finish a couple classes so she can get a certification. Maybe she needs to, maybe she just needs some time so she can, um, you know, find a job or something like that. So um, 
that is something we have available. We also have more short-term help that's about six months or so. Um, we can help clients relocate. We can help okay. them. A lot of times, um, one of our, our clients may end up, maybe let's say they end up in Muscle Shoals and they're okay. from Michigan and they need to get back to Michigan. So we can help them do that. Um, we can okay. buy bus tickets. I've helped get a client back to Hawaii. Um, she okay. ended up in Alabama. Um, so those are some of the things. A lot of times we find that perpetrators will, he, he may leave the house or something like that, but the utilities are in his name. And so he goes and cuts those utilities off. Ooh, I'm hearing myself. Like that, um, but the utilities are in his name. Um, Somebody got it. Someone, it, let's see. Can you uh, mute your microphone? Please. Okay. Okay, there that goes. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, utility assistance, we can help pay deposits. So, if let's say the utilities were in his name, but um, she needs to get utilities on in her name, we can help her do that. Um, okay. we can help relocate. We also have, um, in some of our counties more than others, we have a large Hispanic population. We have two full-time Hispanic liaisons who help, um, our, our Spanish speaking clients who help them navigate the criminal justice system, who help them navigate resources. Um, oftentimes, you know, uh, um, we find that our Hispanic clients, they will their um, their immigration status becomes a point of abuse for them. Their abusers will use their immigration status to um, okay. keep them in con control of the, that situation. And so, um, oftentimes, some of our Hispanic liaisons help those um, individuals get in contact with the people who can help them secure their immigration status, um, that kind of thing. Um, we, we just help point them in that right direction. Um, we have support yes. groups. Um, that is probably our most valuable resource is our support okay. groups because community, you know, it's about community. And um, so a lot of times that many of our victims find community through a support group. Um, and we have those in all of our um, service areas available in all of our service areas. I mentioned our counseling for kids. Um, transportation is a big barrier for many of our clients um, getting back and forth to work. Maybe they don't have a car. So we have, um, we can help with NACOG passes. Those are, you know, public transportation. Um, we help with taxis, um, get okay. our, get a taxi for our clients. Um, we have prescription assistance and we also have some childcare assistance. So let's say okay. a client doesn't qualify for CMA, um, childcare management assistance, um, because mm -hmm. for some reason we have assistance that we can help her with for a short time, not nearly as long because we don't have those kind okay. of funds as maybe a, a childcare management association, but we can at least get her started or agency. Okay. We can get her started. Um, I feel like I ran through those. So those are pretty much all of this.
summation of the services that we offer. Um, what about and, job placement or something like that? Do you help her get a job? Yeah. So what we when let's say someone um, we do have one of our one of our Hispanic advocates. Um, she she keeps up with like if somebody if we see um, somebody's hiring or we see um, that. Uh, we can't kind of keep a list of those things. We sent each other text messages and things like that. If this is some so-and-so's hiring. Um, we don't necessarily, we're not a jobs program. Many of our pro, many of our clients get involved in the jobs program through Department of Human Resources and they do place people. Um, we help them connect to, you know, the unemployment office and that kind of thing. We help them get transportation there. Um, we also have one of our, several of us are involved in helping um, people who want to go back to school, get back to school, okay. whether that's to okay. get their GED or whether that's to go to college. Um, when I okay. first started back at Safe Place, I did not, I had not finished my college education and I got involved with, there's an agent, there's an organization called the Sunshine Lady. And that um, sprung another organization called WISP, Women's Independent Scholarship Program. And it is a scholarship program for um, victims of domestic violence who have been away from their perpetrator for at least one year. And they will help. Many of my clients had went to school like myself and because of the violence, they were never able to finish that. And so okay. the WISP program, so they lose their financial aid. I lost my financial aid. I couldn't use my financial aid because my completion rate was not well enough. So mm -hmm. um, WISP was able to step in and help me cover some tuition costs until I could um, get a, um, I had an appeal. I did an appeal. So sometimes we can help our clients do an appeal and sometimes that doesn't work and WISP pays the scholar, the um, tuition for that client to go back to school until they get things in order. Um, and so yes. I was able to utilize that program. I was a recipient of that scholarship, um, for a couple of years and I was able to finish my degree and I, and graduate from college. I've had several clients who have graduated. I have one matter of fact, that's about to graduate from college. Um, and okay. not that that's what you have to do, but, you know, it certainly does remove some barriers when you um, are blessed with it, when you have a trade or you have a, um, an education to yes. um, help you with, with finding work. Yes. Yes. That's very good information. Mm -hmm. Very, so, very good. Yep. So I have a question. Okay. So is power and control, is that the only root cause of domestic violence? Oh, that's a really good, that's a really good, um, it is, it, it's the root cause. It is the, it is the, um, it's the belief system. It's a person's belief system that they have the right to have this power over another person. Um, uh, there's probably a lot of other things that can, one of the things that is not the cause is alcohol or drugs or just anger. Those things, mental illness doesn't cause the domestic violence. 
It really is a person's belief. Now, those things can exacerbate the violence and it can unveil. Um, my dad was an alcoholic and unless he was drinking, he was, um, typically it took a lot to get him to be physically violent. He still was controlling with my mom. Um, he still controlled um, a lot of things, financial things, um, you know, those types, he used a lot of isolation, some things like that. But um, when he drank, that's when he really got violent. My dad really, his violence, his violence came out when he drank. The drinking wasn't the cause of it because it was always there. He was just able to keep it suppressed until that alcohol allowed the um, inhibitions to go away and he didn't suppress it then. Does that, does that answer your question, Cassandra? Yes. But um, I have a part two to that. Do you ever do you ever look at it in a in a religious aspect? Girl, yes, I love Jesus. Amen. <laughs> 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 hey, so we all love Jesus. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, you know, safe place, since you open the door, we'll go there, you know, because um, it's not something that unless a client, you know, ask, um, it's not something that we uh, just beat her down with. Does that make sense? Because we want everybody to feel comfortable. And some people are comfortable talking about um, their faith and their belief. And some people have a strong faith and a strong belief in religion or um, for me, it's a spiritual relationship. But absolutely, you know, and so these things are present, even in the church, they're present. And it's still the root cause is still a person's belief, a person's control. Um, but, you know, I, I'm brought, <laughs> whew, I'm brought, I think we talked about this, you know, earlier when I was talking to y'all, Miss um, Long, um, it, one of the things that the Christ calls um husbands to love their wives as he loved the church right yes and so yes. my experience is that christ did not go beating on his church he no, didn't isolate right. her he has not you know he's not blamed her for anything um right. you know he doesn't he doesn't do those things and so um I'm, I'm just, I tell my clients a, a lot is that, you know, he didn't, he didn't call us to that. Now, do I believe that I'll give you an example. My grandfather, I didn't know him to be this way. My mom has shared this with me and I don't think that she would mind me sharing this part of her story. Um, he was abusive to my grandmother and then he came to know the Lord and he absolutely came to know healing and came to to be healed from all of the wounds that caused him and he the lord healed that belief system that he was in control of this relationship now he and my grandmother still struggled over the years with that but he was no longer physically abusive to her um okay so does that 
I don't know how deep you want me to go, Cassandra, but that, but yeah, we do look at it from a, some of us, um, you know, more than others look at it from a spiritual relationship or if our client wants us, you know, we all kind of have at Safe Place different ways of working with clients and some of us work in different ways with different clients. And one of the things that I particularly am, um, I guess, like to work with my clients who have would like to find their healing through their faith. That's how I found mine. And so I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yes. Yes. I hope that answered her question. I don't know what you're eating, Tanya, but I'm going to need some of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, we have a... Uh, I'm eating Pringles, but can I say something? <laughs> you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I think it's okay. very good because one of the... And I, I, I'm glad that you're talking about the church because one of the bis, biggest misconceptions is that the church has it all together. Oh, that's right. It's just real. It's just real. Yeah. You know, we, we are people before we yeah, are the exactly. real church. We got flesh on our skin. We got flesh what on our skin. What you say, that's right. We, we got, got we operate in this flesh. So I think what you're the, the things that you're tapping on is very good because we can have and, and and to hear you say that people were saved but they still were mean, it's a reality. And sometimes yes. we don't want we're being in the church, we are so spiritual that we don't deal in reality that there are people Amen. who just simply operate in their flesh. You know, they do, you know, even though they may, they may be saved, they may quote scriptures, they may know from Genesis to, um, to revelations, they still don't always get it right. And I think one of the things that, that by you, by you saying that and addressing that, I think it's so important that we understand that. And that's why in, in cases like you, I'm glad that there are counselors like you who are saved, but know better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they're and you're able to and you're and you're able to relate because sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, we have this thing in our mind that oh, because we're in the church, it's just gonna be a, a perfect world. It doesn't happen mm -hmm. like that. No. So many and that's cases. So true. You know, Tanya, I shared with them earlier, you know, when I was going through my because I grew up in the church, I grew up in a very um, you know, denomination type church and you know it was this way or the highway and because I didn't choose to stay in a relationship where I was being emotionally assaulted um my my family my family Talk still about embraced it. him still embraced uh -huh. him <laughs> still you know I mean lord I mean have mercy you know, and even told me that I could not come back to church, told me that I could not be a member of their church because I had gotten a divorce and was going to get remarried, you know, and so you, there was you, no you just grace. bound to hell. You just bound uh, to hell. That's, that's Linda, right. Why, in the church. Linda <laughs> wide open, you know. Linda <laughs> wide open. And so, you know, it wasn't until I went to the word myself 
Come on now. Right. I'm going to need y'all to back up because y'all ain't right. Right, Y'all ain't right. Y'all ain't right. And so I was able to find grace and I was able to find mercy and I was able to find, you know, freedom. And I was able to find um, a path to to wellness and wholeness and completeness that um, I had never experienced. I'd been taught, you know, have a relationship my whole life. But I had never um, fully understood what that meant because I was bound by so many rules and so many, you know, regulations that um, I never really understood what a relationship with my heavenly father was until um, I got free. I got free of those chains and I experienced his real grace and I experienced his real mercy. And I experienced the fact that I am a human being and I have flesh and he has made an allowance for me. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one of the other services, and I'm, I'm going to be really brief. I know we're on time, but um, I didn't mention, um, we talked a little bit about the abuser. So one of the things that I absolutely believe, and I may cry when I say this, is that um, people who perpetrate violence against their intimate partner Many times we find that they themselves have been hurt and abused. They have been, um, as a child or in, you know, some other way, um, they have experienced abuse. And so there has to be healing for that person too. You know, I mentioned my grandfather and how he found his. Um, We have something called the Peace Program. Peace is a program for people who have, um, for males who have been, who have perpetrated violence against their intimate partner. Um, typically they come to us two ways that's either through the court system or that's through the department of human resources maybe they have become involved in that situation Um, we also have a program called harmony and harmony is available to um, victims of domestic violence who have perpetrated violence so sometimes we may be a victim and we may have taken a lot of abuse and we may have enough and we may act out in a way of protection, right? We may protect ourselves. Um, I've had clients who have, I had a client one time and she was being held down and strangled and she could get her hand on a baseball bat and she was able on the ground to reach and get that baseball bat and she was able to hit him over the head with it to get him off of her. She was arrested as well as him because she hit, she hit her or she hit him. And, you know, he was arrested too. But um, because of that, she was enrolled in our Harmony program. Um, often, sometimes um, moms who are in um, violent relationships, they come to us by DHR. Maybe um, DHR wants them to receive some information and um, on domestic violence and some t- tools to have some tools on how to um, be free of that relationship. Be being a um, either sometimes they don't want to leave, and so that he may go to peace and she may go to harmony, and DHR will let them remain together um, if they both complete these classes. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so, um, but harmony, um, harmony is specifically for victims. Um, 
we don't women who have perpetrated violence against their intimate partner we don't necessarily have a class for that but by and large we find that most all of our um our females who come to us um in some way have been victimized okay okay i have one last question yeah. okay. <laughs> before we end okay yep mm -hmm. is silence a form mm -hmm. of abuse I think it's a tactic. Absolutely. I think that abusers can use, do you mean by just keeping him being quiet, him being silent toward her? E vice versa, uh, either or. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that a couple of ways, I think that it can be abuse in the fact that um, if, if I'm using my silence to maintain control of that person, to maintain power over that person by not giving them information or maybe we're in a conversation and I'm just quiet and I'm not gonna, you know, and I'm doing that so that I maintain the power in that, that is abuse. If I, as a victim, if I am maintaining my silence because I don't wanna be hurt or I don't wanna be harmed in some way, then that is a victimization and that's not abuse. Um, I might be quiet sometimes because I know if I open my mouth, he's going to hit me. Um, so I, I may use my silence as a protection, as, as pro to protect myself. Is that, is that what you're talking about, Cassandra? Yeah, uh, you know, like not acknowledging when mm -hmm. a person is speaking, mm -hmm. is, that, is that a form of, a, of abuse? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be a tactic of abuse. I think it can be um, a tactic that what we were talking about on our control wheel, that's probably some emotional abuse when I'm not acknowledging you, um, making you feel as though you're not present in the relationship. Um, it could be some psychological stuff. Like, um, have you, there's um, something called gaslighting and it's, if they will make you think you are crazy and like they don't even see you in the room and then, some people, you know, might think, am I even here? Um, I know that sounds kind of extreme, but it absolutely happens. And so, yeah, it's definitely a tactic that abusers use to maintain control. You know, they can, it can be. I'm not saying that it always is, but it definitely can be. If it's, if it's done out of a effort to maintain control, it is abuse. Yes. Okay. Um, it is seven. Um, time. Uh, time is up for uh, our broadcast. Can Can I give our yes. eight hundred numbers out real quick? Sure. If, Please if, do so. If someone is seeing this broadcast or would like to reach out, um, and you're not in Alabama. You, and you need um, assistance um, for domestic violence assistance, you're in domestic violence, please call 800-799-7233. That's 800-799-7233. That is national number. If you're in Alabama, but not in a safe place service area, um, you can call 1-800-650-6522. That's 650-6522. 
and they will find a shelter near you. They will help you find a shelter near you and an advocate connects you to an advocate. And those are 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, if you are in um, the Safe Place Service Area, Northwest Alabama, um, you can call 256-767-6210, 256-767-6210, and that's 24-7, and receive um, an advocate will be on the line with you. Um, they can talk to you. They can help you um, with whatever is going on, and um, certainly if you are in an emergency situation, call 911 before you call us, please. Yes. Well, we thank you so much, Bridget. Yeah. We thank, yeah. we appreciate you uh, for sharing the information on the me. services available and for speaking. Absolutely. Yes. So thank um, y'all for I'd having like me. To, yes. Yes. So I, I usually like to close out in prayer, but we're have kind of run out of time. So I hope that, oh, it's okay. That's perfectly fine. Um, I pray that um, anyone that needs assistance would reach out to us, uh, reach out to, to the services that are available. Um, so I will try to post those numbers. Okay. Um, so that, yeah, they'll be available to anyone that needs assistance. Good. We thank you so much. All right. And, thank you. Uh, thank you, Bridget. Yes. And so uh, for our panel, uh, anyone, any last minute uh, words before we close out? Anyone have anything? Okay. All right. So, See you um, in two weeks. Yes. We will see you all in two weeks. I'm going to end our live. Thank you all. We'll see you in two weeks.